Like it or not, which you must like it because you did download it. Yes. So yeah. it's not like we make you listen. Right. We should figure out a way to do that. We could we could just associate this with the COVID shot or something. And yeah. Oh, can, can we get in gotta on get that? Got to get inoculated from craziness. This is why you got to listen to yes. this. Yes. No. We we just they can like just give out download codes when they give them the shot. We we I we got to find a guy. We got to find a guy. We got to find a guy. I'm gonna ask Denny. Denny always knows a guy. Denny knows a guy for everything, so I'm going to ask Denny. He'll know a guy. (laughs) Good old Denny. It's going to be one of those weeks, folks, and if you haven't figured out by now, I'm Michael, and that was Lou. Hey there. And we've gathered together this week to tell you that if you get Jesus wrong, I got some really bad news for you. Yeah. (laughs) You don't get to go to the happy place, so no. And that's as close as you're getting to my bad Hispanic accent for the day, since it is Cinco de Mayo. What you got to say is Cinco de Mayo. Ah, Cha-cha-cha-cha. There we go. There. So if you haven't had your tequila yet, you're supposed to start now. De yeah. Mayo. Yes. So you have to have... So Cinco de Mayo, that means we take um, mayonnaise packets and we drown them. Is that how that works? Baptist mayonnaise? Cinco de Mayo? Oh, so man, we, that's bad. <laughs> yes. We can go with that. <laughs> that's my story, and I am sticking to it. So you may be like, oh, no. Is there anything useful that they can do before this goes completely off the rails? First of all... Might, yes. Second of all, what do you mean before we go completely off the rails? I think we've, yeah. Yeah. Definitely gone over. Yeah. Lou and I have been in the building for like 15 minutes, and this this is like, this is improvement for us. Mm-hmm. So let's see what happens. Turn in your Bibles, children, to Ephesians chapter 2. We have fun things to talk about today. Yes, you should know this passage. If you don't know this passage, shame for shame. I wag my finger at you. You need to read to read your Bible better. Right. Ephesians 2. Really good passage. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. All right. Let's summarize that, because I think that needs to be summarized. This is your kickoff. If you get this part wrong, Mm -hmm. nothing else I'm going to say is going to make any sense. So you were dead in sin. And when I say you, I mean you, me, Lou, Mm -hmm. and every human being you have ever seen. This is Psalm 14 that Paul quotes in Romans 3, that there are none who seek after God. All have turned astray. There are none who seeks God, as the song says, no, not one, no, not one. One of these days I really need to look up that song. It's probably singing about (laughs) something happy, and I'm making it a judgment song. So if yeah. it's not a judgment song, it is now. I it, have decided. It is now, yeah. So it is written, so it shall be done. I've decided that's the end of it because I can make those kind of rules because that's just... That's who you are, right? Yeah, I've decided. Now, when we say that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, we mean that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There was no life within you, not even a little teensy Vincy little bit 
because the good man brings out of the good treasures what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasures what is evil. Mm-hmm. You want to understand your world? There's whole lots of evil people out there. Why? Because very few people name the name of Christ. And of those who do name the name of Christ, I'm starting to wonder how many of them are actually in Christ. Because we keep claiming, you know, you know, millions and billions of people. Like, we're worse than McDonald's. Remember when... You remember yeah, when you were a kid, McDonald's served, used to change yeah. the sign? Remember how they used to update it periodically and be like, six million served, eight million served, and now they just put like billions on the sign and they leave it alone? Right. I kind of missed the little ticker. It was, it was, it was like the, yeah. in my childhood, there were two tickers. There was the national debt ticker, which gave me anxiety, and then there was a McDonald's ticker that was like, oh, look, people are eating Happy Meals. I'm happy now. And then the happy ticker went away, and we're just left with the death ticker. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I can't imagine why my entire generation takes Xanax like it's candy. Can you? I mean, I can't imagine why we're like this. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. No. You see the world around you. You see evil fruit. Why? Because there are evil people. Right. They are bringing forth what is evil. They are bringing forth what is rotten to zikor. You see this uh, continuing on with Jesus talking about the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. Yes, we're pulling that out of context. No, I don't care. You can read your Bible. It will do you good. What's the point here? What you are at your core is what will be demonstrated in the world. And I got really bad news for you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins incapable of bringing forth good things. Now, Lou, trivia time. You ready? All right, I think I am. You got this. Can sinful, unregenerate people love their children? Well, yeah. Can they Can they not cheat on their spouse? Well, yeah. But aren't those good things? Of course. <gasps> See? Sinful people can do good things. The Bible's, on, the Bible's not true, and Jesus didn't exist, and I can live however I want. Isn't that, Wait, how, they, isn't that how the History Channel usually goes? That's, does how, that's how they try to twist this, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. When we talk about evil and sin, we are not saying you are incapable of any good thing. We are saying you are incapable of good things offered rightly unto God. There's a difference between those two things. So the unregenerate sinner can do a good thing. He can he can adopt a puppy. He can help a little old lady cross the street. He can give money to charity. Those in and of themselves are benevolent good acts. Right. They do not make him good because when he is dead in his trespasses and sins, even his righteous deeds are as filthy rags, Isaiah 64. Yeah, let's... Well, <laughs> we're going to leave that one there, right there. That passage is a little bit more descriptive. But it is. It, Go it, look at the Hebrew in Isaiah 64, yeah. and the, but not on a full stomach. Right. <laughs> you'll be, but it you'll gives you a later. good picture of what, what, what our righteousness looks like to a righteous God, yes. which is filthy rags. Yes. Okay. So. We're doing good things in evil ways, and yet we think they're awesome, and God's looking at us going, you people are disgusting. Right. It's not that you people are trying really hard and you're almost there. No, 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 no. You people doing your good deeds in sin are disgusting Desperately before God. wicked. Yes. You are dead in your trespasses. 
All of them. Therefore, you are walking in judgment. This is your Romans 1 and your John 8. You're walking according to the course of this world, according to the power, the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Um, Jude refers to this as going the way of Cain. Mm-hmm. See, there was the way of Abel, following after God, honoring him, trusting in him, offering the sacrifice appropriate. The offering the appropriate sacrifice appropriately, I think would be the way to phrase that. And then there's the way of Cain. I don't want to do any of that. I want to do what I want to do. Right. And so, that includes killing your brother. It would because I don't <laughs> like him. And what's what's the best way to become number one child when I am number two child? Kill, Kill number one child. Kill Look at me. One. I am now number one child. Yeah. Go team. Everything is awesome. <laughs> Even when he got the pep talk from God. Yeah, he turned that. He literally turned around, and be like, "Yeah, right." You know, he he didn't get it, and that's just indicative of the human condition. Exactly, it's who we are. Sorry, I got I got the microphones a little hot, so you might hear some banging and crashing around. So we're <laughs> we're gonna be roll. But that's that's humanity in a nutshell. Even when we think we're good, we're engaged in pride and idolatry and ruin. Right. So even when we think we're good, we're really not. We are following after Satan, his offspring. This is the way of Cain, the deception of Balaam. This is what, like I said, Jude mentions this. This is what the offspring of the serpent creates in humanity. And it has infected all of humanity. That's why Paul draws the distinction he does between Adam and Jesus. By one man, sin entered the world, and therefore all have sinned. And by one man, righteousness, salvation. So... Among them, just in case you think, well, I'm in Jesus now, so that didn't apply to me. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. (coughs) Excuse me. And were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. When we talk about you being a sinner, we mean you. Like, you too. Everyone sitting there shaking their head at me. No, 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 no. I mean you also. Those of you who are in Christ used to not be in Christ, which means you were on the other side. You were part of the depravity of humanity. Read Romans 1, start around verse 18, and you will see what that looks like. The rejection of the obvious knowledge of God, the walking away from his goodness, the walking in the depravity of your mind, heart, and actions, demanding acclaim and affirmation from the world, and forsaking all goodness. Wow. Get that, get that off your chest. <laughs> this is the bad news. Now, you're, you're probably sitting at home going, dude. Come on, man. Yeah, is, it, is there a good part? Yes, there is. But, 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 but before I get to the good part, this part matters. If we don't rightly lay the foundation of the problem, the cure doesn't make any sense. It's the example I've used before on a, on a Sunday morning. Like if you're standing at the end of one of those piers at the ocean, like the Atlantic has these. We've got a couple of them in North Carolina. There's a couple of massive ones in South Carolina and Virginia. You get to go like 600 yards out into the ocean on these massive piers. And what's creepy about them is if the waves are big enough, they close them because the whole, the whole stinking thing moves. Oh. And even in normal surf, it moves. And you're sitting there like, yeah, it's a little creepy. But on a nice day, there's like old dudes fishing and there's seagulls pecking at your head. It's, it's, it's a fun time. Now imagine you're standing at the edge of that and you're just watching the water and some dude jumps off the end of the pier and goes, I love you! What was that? Like we're sitting here fending off the seagulls watching this dude over here try to reel in a shark and some dude yells, I love you, and jumps off the pier. 
That doesn't make any sense. Right. Now, what happens if your kid falls off the pier? You jump in after him. And you didn't, but the same dude goes, I love you, and jumps off the pier to rescue your kid. See, your love makes sense because there's a problem. I now understand what you mean when you say you love me. I now understand that that love creates something. You just jumping off the pier for no good reason doesn't make any sense, but you jumping in to save my kid, suddenly now, see, I have a problem that you are solving. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. So it is in Scripture. If you do not understand the depravity of humanity and the ooh, ooh, big fancy word, ready? The insidiousness. Hmm. It's multiple syllables. You'll win Scrabble with that one. Hmm. If you do not understand the insidiousness of sin, then the mercy of grace doesn't make any sense. Without understanding how how dark sin makes you, you look at the grace of God and go, "Well, of course He saved me. I'm awesome. Why wouldn't He save me?" Right. There's always a temptation of saying. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy over exactly. there. You know, um, and I know we've covered this before, but it bears repeating because this yeah. is the temptation in a fallen world. It's to look around and go, well, you know, I mean, I'm not that bad. I mean, I'm okay. Yeah, I got some issues here and there, but, you know, I'm okay. I, I mean, I didn't beat my kids. I didn't cheat on my wife. I didn't defraud the IRS. I'm hey, thumbs up. I'm doing okay. I'm better than a governor of Illinois. It's It's a good week, you know? And mm. You think I'm kidding about the governors. I, I, I'm not. Go look up our history. Yeah, our governors <laughs> all go to jail. It's just a matter of when time. When I moved here, the first thing somebody said, welcome to Illinois, the states where the governors make the license plates. Right. And I was like, huh? He's yeah. like, they're in prison, all of them. I was like, what? Like, no, seriously, all of them. Like, the only one not in jail is the current one. <laughs> right. And I, he's like, hey, give, him hey, give him a minute. <laughs> I'm sure when he gets out of office, we'll figure out something. So there's a problem. We are dead in our trespass and sins following after our father who is Satan, operating as his beloved offspring, doing his deeds in accordance with what we want. This is what we want to do, and we're doomed. But God, mm -hmm. being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Pause real quick. God moved. God worked. Right. You were walking around, following sin, indulging in the pleasures of your flesh, Romans 1 style, not thinking of anything wrong with you, lying to yourself, lying to your friends and neighbors, and God is the one who has redeemed your soul. Right. Not you, him. Paul makes the same point over in Romans 5. Yeah. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Yeah. Now keep this in mind. For the ungodly. Paul highlights that. You might die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in yet in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you might see that stranger on the pier and go, well, they're kind of a nice guy. I might, you know, dive off the end to save the kid. But for a second, you think about it. For a second, you think about it. If he was dirty, rotten, vicious, vile, you know, child molester, and he falls off the pier, you jumping in after him? I'm going to throw chum in the water. <laughs> you'd be like, hey, dude, let me have that bait bucket. <laughs> yeah, you're like, no. Jesus did. Yeah. Jesus did. Yeah. He, while you were drowning in death of your sin and depravity, the insidiousness. I mean, get that stiff jaw going. The insidiousness. We should really do video. <laughs> no, no, we should People shouldn't. would love to see no, that. No, no, they wouldn't. No, no, they would not. <laughs> they, <clears throat> in that pool of depravity, 
Christ died. Uh, one of my favorite examples of this is the Pilgrim's Progress. Um, again, if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, go find an abridged version of Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It will do you good. When It's an allegory of the Christian life. The main character's name is Christian. He is traveling on the king's highway to the celestial city. So he was walking the path of sanctification towards salvation, towards God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. The way he gets there, though, is because he recognizes he's got this burden on his back that's just killing him. But in order to get to the king's highway, he has to pass through the gate. That's Christ, by the way. Before he can get there, he has to traverse through the slough of despond, which if you don't know, it's the swamp of despair. It's a fancy way of saying an, an ugly swamp despair. And he almost dies. He can't get through it because he's trying to walk through it on his own. And he finally gets through because he prays and God sends someone to pull him out. <laughs> he doesn't make it through on his own. And that's one of the fun things about the allegories. When he gets to the end, in order to get to the celestial city, he's got to swim a river. And he doesn't make it. Wow. <laughs> he actually drowns. Yeah, I don't think I've read that book yet. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's worth it. But yeah, he's swimming in the river, and he's like, I can't make it, I can't make it, I can't make it, and he goes under, and next thing you know, he's in the city. See, it's a point thing that every time it's up to Christian to accomplish something, he fails. Yeah, he doesn't have it within him, right? When he goes to Vanity, even in his sanctification, when he goes to Vanity Fair, he falls into sin. When he gets trapped by the giant, he falls into depression and distrust. It's only through remembering the work of God and remembering that God has accomplished that he ever accomplishes and overcomes anything. That's part of the reminder here. You are dead and helpless. God has made you alive. God is the one who is sanctifying you. God is the one who is carrying you through. Therefore, you are constantly living for and seeking after him. Now, in case you think that this paused, and I just added that part, keep going in verse 6. So, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in, age, in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In other words, your salvation is fulfilled not here and now, but in the world that is to come. Yeah, yeah but one, one of the important aspects of this passage is is that we were raised up with him um, just as he has died we were already dead in our sins mm -hmm. and we were raised together with him our resurrection was is totally due to to the works of christ it no, is nothing of our own doing we couldn't raise ourselves from the dead he had to do it for us is there a submarine after us <laughs> yes. one ping only vasily one ping only. <laughs> if you can't hear that, that's a phone going off. No, Peter makes this exact same point. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Right. Once again, Peter hits on this. Caused us to be born again. We didn't do it. He did it, and he has now set us upon a path for what? For eternity. So we are walking not for the here and now, but for the world that is to come. Throwing my pen around. Uh-oh. Watch out. I'm getting so excited. I am throwing my pen. It's He's animated, be, folks. I'm telling you, it's going to be one of those days. Paul makes the same point about walking in a heavenly direction in Colossians 3. You have, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. See, why? Because he's my savior. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to catch you. Jesus is your savior and he is your salvation. 
See, he is the one who has made you alive. He is the one who has redeemed you. He is the one who has accomplished all this. Therefore, who do you look at? Him alone. <laughs> yeah, you look at him alone. Right. So keep, see, keep there. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Yeah. In other words, longing for the world that is to come. Not here, not now, but is to come. Now, that leads you to the punchline on the verse that you all know in this chapter. <clears throat> For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. We've covered that. Mm -hmm. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You didn't add to this. This harkens back to your Old Testament. This is what happens with Abraham. Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This right. is the work of the prophets. You see Isaiah talking about turn to God. It's not about your sacrifices, but God desires your heart and your obedience. Right. It talks about Jeremiah and the law being written on the hearts of the people for them to turn back their hearts and circumcise their hearts before God. Ezekiel, seeing the people as dead and, and wasted away as dry bones. Right. Who can make these bones live? God can. God can. <clears throat> I can't stop coughing today. Only God can make these bones live. You see this throughout the prophetic ministry. You see this, again, a hallmark verse is Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous man shall live by faith. And you see Paul picking this up in Galatians. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the, of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now, yes. if you've listened to us for more than five minutes, you know we are not antinomians. Right. It's important to understand this distinction. It right? is. And, and we are not saying that the law is invalid and that the law of God is useless. We are saying it is invalid and useless for salvation. Amen. By grace, through faith, not of works. Now, in Christ you are what? Setting your eyes on him, mm -hmm. walking towards his kingdom, hoping for the salvation that is yet to be revealed, which means you are attempting to, aided by the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you, walk in righteousness. That's the proper use of the law for the Christian. Right. It condemns sin in you and in the pagan, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, it enables you to understand what your gifts of righteousness are, which just so happens to be the next verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Hmm. This is also your Ephesians 4. This is also your James too. You want a great exposition of this? First book written of the of the New Testament. I am not a I am not a primary Galatians person. You may be you may I don't know where you are on this one. I am a James person. James is the first book of the New Testament written somewhere between 44 and 48 yeah, AD. I, I'm with you there. It's pre-Jerusalem Council. I don't know how you try to date the book of James to the to after the Jerusalem Council, but people try to do it. Anyway. So <clears throat> so James writing first book of the New Testament within 15 years of the work of Christ, right. lays out in chapter 2 this great exposition of how do you live? How do you deal with your works? How does it relate to faith? And he doesn't come down anywhere different because he starts out his book in chapter 1 explaining that you need wisdom from God. You need salvation. You need to trust in him and bear up. You need to be sanctified. It is then that he points out, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? 
the answer that James comes to is no, because a saving faith gives you the Holy Spirit. Therefore, a saving faith will produce good works. Will it produce all the good works? No. Will it produce good works every five seconds? No. You are still working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are still mortifying the flesh, seeking to put to death sin. You are still doing all of these things. On a daily basis. Right. But over the course of your lifetime, there should be some fruit. Right. John the Baptist said this. When the brood of vipers came out to him for baptism of repentance, he said, Who warned you? Who told you to come out here? Fine. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. This is what we started with with Jesus. So we can bring this full circle. A good tree produces what? Good fruit. Good fruit. In Christ, Christian, guess what you are now? You are a good tree. Therefore, you should be producing good fruit. Right. Will you on occasion get into your flesh and realize that there's still some bad tree rolling around in there? Yes. Yeah. Will you rejoice in that? No. You will repent of that sin, trust in the work of the Holy Spirit, trust in the salvific work of Christ, and you will walk fresh. That's what James is getting on about is – You can't say that I have faith, but it doesn't spur me to anything. Notice it. I didn't say it made you go be a missionary to like the darkest parts of Africa or something like that. Look, if it does, then God bless you. Go for it. But whatever the fruit it does produce, produce as much of it as possible. Whether – again, this is where your spiritual gifts come in. You know, um, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Read through those. Service, praying, administrating teaching, encouraging, all of these things are part of your fruit, your daily ministry. Not to mention the fact you're, my favorite word, eschewing of sin. We had a whole episode on that word. Your whole turning from sin is part of that good work. You're being discipled in your own mind, spirit, and flesh. You're discipling of your friends and family. That is your good works. This is what the Spirit is spurring you to. It does not save you. It reveals that Christ has done the work to save you. There's a difference between those two things. And Paul presents all of that here in Ephesians chapter 2. So let's recap this. So rapid fire. Let me know if I leave leave something out here. All right. Let's do it. You were dead spiritually walking in the ways of Satan. And, And enjoying it. And enjoying it. Right. Christ, by his atoning sacrifice, has brought you to life enlightened your heart, mind, and spirit, awakened you to the truth of God, and fortified you to walk in godliness. Because you recognize that Christ has done this work for you, you honor him by following after him and walk in that godliness. Yeah, you're now able to recognize what he's done for you. And, and, And like he said, unless you be born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You are born from above, literally. Yes, this is the point. This is this is uh, uh, John 3, right? right. Talk, talk about born from above, and then yep. Romans. Oh, where is that in Romans? Where he makes that comparison. Is oh. it Romans somewhere? Is it Romans, Romans 9. Read Romans 9. It will do you Romans good. Nine. <laughs> 9 or 10. Just read, read 9, 10, and 11, and thank me later. <laughs> that won't raise any questions in your mind at all, I promise. <laughs> Call me. It'll be all right. Now, what we have discussed is the doctrine of soteriology. What is salvation? It is the work of Christ applied to sinful people. Who is Christ saving? Who is being saved? All those who the Father is drawing, John 6. Mm -hmm. All of those to whom the Spirit is enlightening. All of those for whom Christ is awakening and laying down a foundation for. That's just how the the Bible describes this. 
Why are they being saved? For his glory. For the glory of God, because Christ has done this. They are not doing this because of anything inherent in them, because they are evil. They are not doing this for anything good that they will accomplish. They are doing this because it glorifies God by creating a people that will dwell in his kingdom. You're zealous for good works. All that good stuff. All that good stuff. Now, this is where we get fun. I tell you that story. We got company. So I can tell you this story. Somebody asked a question, and uh, oh, I gotta write this guy's name down because I always get it wrong. Where is he? Ibram X. Kendi, who has my fa- my new favorite children's book, The Anti-Racist Baby. This guy really shocks me <laughs> when, you, when you listen to, to how he, he breaks things down. It's just yeah, it's, this is it's it's just not oh, right on so many levels. I have a transcript. You ready? All right. When you hear us talk, because we've we've done episodes on this before, we might need to do an episode on this again. It might be a good rule of refresher on critical race theory and intersectionality. This is on my radar again because I'm gearing up to go to the Southern Baptist Convention, and it might be my last one okay. because I may not be part of the convention anymore because this is the way we're going, uh-huh. and I can't abide by it. What you're dealing with is this whole, well, don't you want to be an anti-racist? That's why I laugh when I say it's my favorite children's book. Because he he seriously wrote a children's book called Anti-Racist Baby. And it's a children's book to teach you how to teach your children how to be anti-racist. Which sounds good on the surface until you actually, Christian, pay attention to this. Until you actually dive in, what does it mean to be an anti-racist? You ready? I'm ready. You're going to like this. All right. Somebody asked this question. I don't remember who the interviewer is. I'm curious. If you see any role that churches or communities of faith can play in this anti-racist movement, see, I immediately go, ooh, pick me. The answer is yes, we can play a role in anti-racism defined rightly because we are the people of God regardless of language, background, history, skin color. In Christ, we are all one People. Uh, it's the song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by the blood. Join heirs of Jesus as I travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. And yes, that's out of key, and no, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Your ears are welcome. Yeah. Why? Because we are brothers, sisters. We are family. We are closer than family. Your, fam- your familiar, familial blood relationships should always be secondary to your relationships in Christ. They are more important in Christ. Therefore, that should be the good answer. You ready for the bad answer? What's the bad answer? Sure. So, I, uh, I yeah, I'm a preacher's kid. And my parents pretty much met in what was known as the Black Power Movement. Oh, yes. Yeah. But more specifically for them, the movement for black theology. And so they were both Christians who imagined that the church was supposed to be an engine of liberation. That Christianity was supposed to be a source of liberation of black people and humanity. Liberation from what? See, scripture would tell you it's liberation from your death and sin. Your sin, right, right. But that's not what he means here. They looked at Jesus as black, who would, like, have a fro like they had. Right. And what I sort of ultimately realized in analyzing the form of Christianity that they were raised in, particularly then, during the black theology movement. By the way, there's no black and white theology. There's just biblical and anti-biblical theology. Can we all just affirm that real quick? Right. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. That, that, and That's what makes his yeah. antithetical. 
And sort of just, I should say, contrasting that with the form of Christianity that 80% of white evangelicals have when they voted for Donald Trump. I like how it's our theology that made people vote for Donald Trump. That's my favorite. I think one of the ways we can distinguish it is one being liberation theology. In other words, excuse me, Jesus was a revolutionary, and the job of the Christian is to revolutionize society. No, it isn't. The The job of the Christian is to liberate society from the powers on earth that are oppressing humanity. Everybody understand that. That's liberation theology in a nutshell. Savior theology is a different type of theology. The job of the Christian is to go out and save these individuals who are behaviorally deficient. In other words, we're to bring them into the church, these individuals who are doing all these evil, sinful things, and heal them and save them. And then once once we've saved them, we've done our jobs. Now, if you There's so think, many things wrong with that. that whole I would statement. like to think that if you've listened to the last 20 minutes that Lou and I have been dealing with, that you should be able to realize that that's not what Christian soteriology actually is. Right. That's not savior theology. Without our salvation in Christ, we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. We're still enjoying running after the lusts of the flesh. And we have no capacity for being a, a, a liberator of anything or anyone. And, and, and we're not salvation. We're not the ones that save. It's, no. it's Christ who saves us. When did we become the savior? See why this becomes important? To me, anti-racists fundamentally reject Savior theology. Now, I would reject Savior theology as he has described it, but I would not reject Savior theology as Scripture describes it. Just because he understands it differently doesn't mean he's not telling you to reject what I'm saying. So anti-racists fundamentally reject Savior theology. That goes right in line with racist ideas and racist theology in which they say you know what black people, other racial groups, the reason why they're struggling on earth is because of what they're behaviorally doing wrong. And it's my job as the pastor to sort of save these wayward black people or wayward poor people or wayward queer people. I like how he threw that one in there all of a sudden. Yeah, I love how he threw that in there at the end. (laughs) Like, hey – Now, is it my job to save them? No, it's my job to proclaim Christ. See the difference between these two things? This is why, again, Christian, when we talk about understanding your theology and your Bible, this is why this matters. The world is arguing with something they don't understand. You can't actually get anywhere unless you define terms rightly. So he continues, that type of theology breeds bigotry. And so to me, the type of theology of liberation theology breeds a common humanity. A common humanity against the structures of power that oppress us all. Well, if you listen to Paul's epistle carefully, we find common ground in Christ. You're supposed and, to. And, and, and so that, that wall that was built up was torn down, and we were brought near through the blood of Christ, mm-hmm. not through this radicalism of anti-racism that this guy is preaching. It has nothing to do with that. It's not supposed to. No. See, again, though. When people go – well, so when they say, oh, you're just Christian theology, you want people to get saved, you know what you need to do? What does that mean? Right. Start asking questions right. because what you'll find – again, this goes back to what I said at the very beginning. The, of the people who name the name of Christ, I'm not sure many of them know what they've signed up for. Right. And this is what I mean. The world has no idea what we're talking about. If, if, the, if the – excuse me <coughs> – if the accusation of self-righteousness can be applied to you as a Christian, you're doing Christianity wrong. I'm not better than. I'm not smarter than. 
I'm redeemed. Right. There's a difference. I'm not offering you something good that I found. I'm offering you something good that Christ provides, right. that he has given to me. Not that I'm giving to you. He's giving it to you. Yeah. And the realization that he found you, yeah. not you found him. Yeah, I'm you just get that pro- a lot in Christianity. I'm just proclaiming here, you know what? You, you're going to have to deal with Jesus. I don't have to deal with Jesus on your behalf. That's a you problem. I'm not saving you. You're not saving you. Christ is saving you. Mm-hmm. And if not, then I got, I got some bad news for you. See, even in the church, we fundamentally misdefine what it means to be in Christ. We're not cleaned up to get into Christ. We're only cleaned up because we are in Christ. And even then, name me the last time we expected the Christian to be perfect. Name me the last time we looked at the Christian and went, oh, I can't believe you did that. How dare you? No, we recognize what? That sin corrupts, it has corrupted you from the beginning, and you walked in something that you shouldn't have walked in. Right. But now you're repenting. Now you're warring against, and now we come alongside. There's no need for condemnation. The Holy Spirit does that just fine. Right. I don't have to condemn you. When people come to me for counseling, it's not because something awesome is happening in their lives. Like, I've never had a married couple be like, we want to sit down and talk to you this week. Is that okay? Sure, yeah, come on by. They never come by and be like, we just want to tell you how amazing our marriage is and it's going so well. No, they want to come by and talk to me because something is broken. Mm-hmm. I don't need to look at it and go, what are you, stupid? Mm-hmm. No, they already know that. They already know something's broken. we got to figure out what it is and how to fix it. Right. And typically it's pride and it's idolatry and it's lying to yourself or lying about who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the world. You want to see what the lies of the, of the enemy look like? It looks like liberation theology. Exactly. See, we'll get together. We'll reject this whole getting saved business, but we'll tear down the structures of the world. I have a question. Once we're done tearing down all the structures of the world, you know what we're going to have to do? Build them up. We're going to have to build some structures. Yeah. What keeps those structures from oppressing someone else? Because we built them? Are we now the people we've been waiting for? Go team. Relativism, you know. Well, there's no absolute morality. There's only your morality. Now, right? For the sake of argument, let's say we've rebuilt the systems and they're not oppressing anyone because we are just that awesome. So we have built the world's first unoppressive system, according to these people. Now what? And I'm serious. Now what? What about the kingdom? What about my sin? What about my, my desires and my, my evil heart and my evil thoughts? They don't believe those things are real. So what you're telling me is you don't actually believe in God. Right. So you're calling it a Christian theology where Christ is an example, but Christ isn't actually anything. And he's not, sa- he's not the Savior. So he's not a Savior. He's just an example or he's just a, a type. Some kind of radical liberator. See – Where does that actually leave me? For those of us that recognize that sin corrupts and that it is present in all of us, where does that theology leave us? It leaves you still dead in your sin. Exactly. Yeah, right. And this becomes the issue. Christian, this is where the world is going. Why? Why is the world going this way? Well, because the father of lies likes to lie. He's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. So what does he do? He has come to steal and kill and destroy and tear down. Yeah. Not some of the things. He's here to tear down all of the things. Right. And this matters because anything that gets the world to go along with that, he's good. Right. I mean, this. The, notice. Notice this. Name me the last 
Western worldview. I got to throw that qualifier in there because somebody go by Islam, but I'm going to refute that in a second. Name me the last Western worldview that just flat out said, no, we don't need God. We don't need Jesus. We can just throw them out and not even acknowledge they existed. I mean, atheism's tried, but they fail because there's too many unanswered questions. Right. There's too many unanswerable questions. I mean, even Darwinism still, or, or even Darwin still tried to go to a Unitarian church, which I've never understood the point of that. Unitarian Universalist church is like, well, any path to God is good, so come here and worship your path. Well, if I can worship my path, what do I need to go to you for? I've never understood that. Like, do people just have this innate need to give money to churches? If you do, you can send checks to 6286 Linden Road, Rockford, Illinois, 61109. Sh- shameless plug. <laughs> hey, I mean, if you're just that guilty and you just got to send somebody money, you might as well send it to us. Right. At least we're going to do some good with it. Yeah, we will. <laughs> I'm not buying, like, my third jet or anything, you know? I mean, we can... Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's... But God would want you to have that jet. He would. Yeah, because you have to get across the world in first class. <laughs> Send you know, your for... love gift this month. I'm sorry. Yeah, I God can't, forbid I can't go you be in, a, in, in, in a, a regular plane with all those demonic people. But see, I, uh, I, uh, I don't even get me started. Okay. Uh, okay. Right. I... Sorry, I'm off on a rant. Inhale. Exhale. All right, back on task. All right, you're back. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, see, even Islam. I said I'd, I said I'd get back to this because Islam is a non-Western worldview and theology, but it doesn't reject God. It doesn't even reject Christ and, and the Old Testament. It tries to modify. That's why I've said for years, I really think Abraham uh, – not Abraham. I really think – Muhammad. Oh my goodness, I couldn't think of the man's name. I really think Muhammad saw something in that cave. I do. I think he saw Satan in that cave. And if he didn't see Satan, he saw one of the minions. And I don't mean like the cute little yellow guys from Despicable Me. I mean like Satan's minions. I mean, I think he saw one of those things in the cave and they gave him a really good idea as far as he was concerned, which is, hey, we got a way to war against Christianity, not by rejecting the truth, but by twisting it. Right. What is really what we're saying is what what does Satan keep doing? Did God really say? Really say? That's, right. that's all. There is nothing new under the sun, and by nothing I mean nothing. It's a simple attack, but it's very effective. That it he, is. He gets you to doubt what was what was written, what was said, what was taught. Did he really say that? Was and that's it really written there. And that's all that's going on here. And that's what you're seeing here with anti-racism. So when you're watching the news. Recognize that when they say, well, we're anti-fascists or we're anti-racists and we're fighting for a better society, what they're really saying is we reject your Jesus. We reject your salvation. We reject your sanctification, and we seek to redefine these things in a way that we deem acceptable. Remember earlier when I mentioned Romans 1 Mm -hmm. and talk about you were dead, walking in the depravity of your heart and mind, seeking approval from other sinners? Right. Here it is. This is it. In action. Right. How do I get the world to go along and tell me that what I'm doing is good and right? By corrupting the message and twisting it just enough so that it agrees, not with you, but with me. Right. What could go wrong? Well, they always talk about tolerance and, and anti-racism, but the first thing that they put on the chopping block is what? Biblical Christianity. Yeah, always. Always. Not second, not third. The first thing that's going every single time is actual Christian theology. So, 
Sorry, my microphone. Lou is now smirking at me because my microphone cover is misbehaving, so I now have to hold it like the world's weirdest lollipop. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it looks like. He's part of the lollipop gang. I'm the lollipop guild, the lollipop guild. <laughs> Don't I have a tree to go make some cookies in later or something? Yeah. <laughs> All right, do we leave anything out? I don't think so. All right, so what have we learned here today, children? Jesus saves dead rebels. Christ's work is a work of salvation. And our world will accept Christ, any Christ, but the real Christ. Isn't that true? That is so depressing. We've got more work to do. We do. And it's going to continue, which is why we're tackling soteriology again next week. All right. Because just when you think it gets better... It gets worse. So we will dig back into that next week. Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can go to the website, practicaltheologyministries.com. Find all the links. Find everything that's going on. Share it with your friends and neighbors. If you have a doctrine you have questions about, send that. We'll be happy to tackle it. If you have a story that you think applies to some of this stuff, even if you don't think it applies to some of this stuff, send it to us. We'll tackle it. See if we can make sense of it. So that'll be half the fun. Until we see you again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.